So, uh, 2016 ended yesterday, and uh, 2017 begins today. Uh, it's a new year, a new day. Uh, it's an exciting time for us. I think based on uh, what I've been tracking and reading on the internet from news sites as well as on social media, uh, there are a lot of people for whom 2017 could not come sooner. I don't know if you like that, but 2016 was a difficult year for a lot of people. And if there's one thing that at the end of it all, if there's something that people remember about 2016 uh, throughout the annals of history when all is said and done, I don't know what it will be marked by. But one of the things that seems like people are talking about a lot these days is how many people died in 2016. We mourned the loss of many a celebrity, a a singer, a musician, an actor, an actress, uh, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. In recent days, uh, there was David Bowie, the the, the singer, right? There was Prince, uh, Nancy Reagan, Fidel Castro, countless people. And you could go on and on and on. Muhammad Ali. In my, uh, in, in my, uh, in my life, the, the pastor, senior pastor of my church in, in Virginia, uh, had been my pastor. He's known me since the day I was born. He baptized me as a baby. He spoke at my ordination. He took over that church. He's been my parents' pastor for 45 years. When his church started, it was a handful of families. That church split. His faithfulness, a life of prayer. The church grew to several thousand people. When the church began, he would wake up at 6 in the morning to pray for every person in the church. And as the church began to grow, I need to wake up earlier. So at 5.30, he would pray. And 5, and 4.30, and then 4. At the end of his ministry, he was waking up at 3.30 in the morning to pray for every person in the congregation. Last month, uh, he went home to be with the Lord and uh, they had to hold multiple services in order to honor his life. Maybe you had people in your life who passed away this year. But 2016 was a year marked, and every year will be marked by people coming and people going. 2017 will be no different. People will come and people will go. That's just the reality, and it's the cycle of life. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. But for every person who died in 2016, one thing is true of every single one of them, that their lives told a story, and at the end of their life, their story was marked by what they did on the ordinary days of their lives. Before Advent began last year, we were in this series called Experiencing God on an Ordinary Day. And today, as we begin a new year, I want to conclude this series by talking about this simple reality that all of life, all it is, just a series of ordinary days. That's all life is. And I want to help us so that when we get to the end of it all, we would be able to say that I lived a good story, that I lived a good life. Because in 2017, many of you are going to turn pages. All of us are going to turn pages. But different chapters will be written and different endings will come. Whether it's the end of life, Lord willing, it won't be. But there will be uh, some for whom that's the reality. For others, a different chapter is going to end. Whether it means you're going to a different school, getting a new job, moving to a different city. But how do we end well? I want to look at the man in the Bible who ended well. We're going to look at 2 Timothy, the book in the Bible towards the end 
of Scripture. Second Timothy was a letter written to a man named Timothy. It's called Second Timothy because it was a second letter written to him by his mentor, Paul. And Paul, who wrote almost half of the Newer Testament of Scripture, is writing to, Paul, uh, to his disciple Timothy at the end of his life. And this is what he says. Second Timothy, chapter 4. Uh, verses 6 through 8, it's going to be on the screen for those of you who um, don't have your own Bible. You can look at somebody else or you can look on the screen. But I'm just going to read three verses, three sentences, if you will, that help us to see how he reflected on his life at the end and how that is instructive for us. This is God's word. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. The end of a chapter is important for so many reasons, but what people say when they get to the end of that chapter is also highly instructive. So when someone's on their deathbed, the words that they say, right? all the Star Wars fans, Luke, right? I'm your father, right? Huge, huge, mind-blowing stuff. What people say on their deathbed is huge. That's why graduation speeches are so important. That's why best man and maid of honor speeches are so important, because it's the end of a chapter as we know it. No longer is my best friend single, but now they're entering into a new chapter of life. And so as we reflect back on this at the end of this chapter, what we say at that moment is highly instructive. And so what Paul says at the end of his life is hugely instructive for us if we want to know how we can live a life, uh, a well-lived life. Uh, three thoughts that I, I think this passage encourages us to remember. The first thing, the end is closer than you think. The end is closer than you think. Here, a simple reality. It might blow your mind. But did you know that the day of your death is closer today than it was yesterday? And tomorrow will be even closer than today. The end is closer than you might think. Here is what, what Paul says. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. What does that mean? When someone says already... Paul's at the end of his life. We see this. He says the time of my departure has come. But when you say already, it has this sense in which, oh my gosh, it's come already. It's happened almost too quickly. I can't believe 2016 is already over. I can't believe we're already at 2017. I can't believe she already went home. Uh, some of us were at a youth retreat. I can't believe it's already time for us to go home. It feels like we just got here. This word already means, holy cow, it came pretty quick, didn't it? That's what Paul is saying. The time has already come. He's lived a long life, but he's saying, it's already here. This idea says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. What does this mean? Here's what it means. In the Old Testament, in the Older Testament, when uh, people had to bring sacrifices for worship, when we would come to worship, if we were living in the Old Testament times, here's what we need to do. Because we're sinful people, that means we've messed up before God. We would have to bring an animal and kill it. As our way of saying, as God's way of saying, an innocent thing has to die and blood has to be shed in order for us to be spared. And the reality is we should be dead if we come into the presence of God. 
But because we kill the blood, we kill the, take the life of an animal and its blood is shed, we can come into the presence of God. So the sacrifice would happen. It would be a lamb, uh, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Some of you get that day off from school or work. It's a Jewish holiday that represents the one day out of the year when the high priest would go into the holiest place in the temple, sacrifice an animal as his way of atoning for the sins of the people. So uh, this lamb would be pretty much it would be barbecued. Right, flour, oil put on it, so a beautiful aroma arises to heaven. Right, and then right, it's it, it really is a barbecue. People would eat it, and then at the end of that, the very last thing, the very last thing that would happen in that sacrifice is wine would be poured onto that altar, and an even more pleasing aroma would rise to the heavens. The drink offering then was the final act in that whole act of sacrifice. And so, what Paul is saying. My life is a living sacrifice given to God. And now the final chapter has come. And it's already here. Wow, that came pretty quickly. Life comes at us fast. That's what he's saying. For those of us who've had kids and in the blink of an eye, they grew to become so big. And we're like, where did the time go? I had this moment a few months ago, 2016, my oldest daughter, Manny. Emmanuel, uh, she had her first ever ballet recital. She was so excited. She was, couldn't wait. She wanted to try on her beautiful blue tutu and danced around the house and made her baby sister Elise jealous and Elise wanted to wear it. And we're like, you can't, no one can wear it because you can't get wrinkled before the recital. But they were wearing it and running around. And uh, so we got to dress rehearsal and I was watching Manny and I just, it messed me up, messed me up. But can I tell you what got me even worse? It was the it was the stinking song that she danced to. This song was called the Cinderella Song, written by uh, one of the greatest Christian artists that I I, I know. His name is Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, let me t- let me tell you the story before I read the words. The story goes that he was um, he had two three year old girls, and he was bathing them. But he had a deadline for a music project, a CD that he needed to finish. He had to write his, some songs. And he, it was his time to do uh, bath times. So he was bathing these three-year-old girls. But they kept trying to escape out of the tub, right? They kept running out of the tub. He would reach for the soap, and he would see one of them running off, and he'd have to corral them. Because all they wanted to do was they wanted to put on their Cinderella dress, because they said, Daddy, there's a ball tonight. I don't know where they got that idea, but they, Daddy, there's a ball tonight. And they would try to get their tutu on, and he would grab one, and he would put them in. And by the time he turned around, the other one would be jumping out. And so after finally getting them and washing them and bathing them, he was frustrated. I've got work to do. So he said to them, listen, you guys are going right to bed, short prayer, no bedtime story. You guys go to bed because daddy's got to go to work. And he put them down, and he left, and he went to work. And as he was working, writing these Christian songs, he had this moment where he thought about his eldest daughter. She was 20-something at the time. And he thought about how he used to bathe her and give her baths and how quickly time flew and how he wished that she could be little again so that he could bathe her the way that he did with his three-year-olds. And so within an hour, he wrote this song. This is what it says. I'm thinking of something funny so I don't cry. She spins And she sways to whatever song plays without a care in the world. And I'm sitting here wearing the weight of the world on my shoulders. 
been a long day. There's still work to do. She's pulling at me saying, Dad, I need you. There's a ball at the castle and I've been invited and I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, Daddy, please. The chorus says, so I will dance with Cinderella while she is here in my arms. Because I know something the prince never knew. Oh, I'll dance with Cinderella. I don't want to miss even one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and he'll be gone. Verse 2 says, she says he's a nice guy and I'd be impressed. He wants to know if I approve of the dress. The dad prom is just one week away and I need to practice my dance. And oh, please, daddy, please. And the chorus. And then verse 3. But she came home today with a ring on her hand, just glowing and telling us all they had planned. Says, dad, the wedding's still six months away, but I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, daddy, please. So I will dance with Cinderella while she is here in my arms because I know something the prince never knew. Oh, I'll dance with Cinderella. Don't want to miss even one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and he'll be gone. And so as my daughter Manny is dancing and twirling with her big old smile, she has no idea probably what that song means. Thinking, God, just slow time down. I don't want to miss even one day. Because it's happening all too quickly, isn't it? For some of you, the chapter that you're holding on to, that you're sitting in, the chapter that's being written in your life is going to end very quickly. You've got kids who are about to go off to, to, to a new city for a job. You've got Parents who are getting older. You've got different decisions to make that are going to take you out of this chapter. The end is coming quickly. In fact, it's coming a lot sooner than you think. And the advice of the Apostle Paul and Stephen Curtis Chapman and countless others is you've got to make the most of your time. Don't waste it. Don't waste your days. Don't waste your life. Don't live with regret. Because all too soon, the clock will strike midnight because the end is a lot closer than we think. He's saying, I'm already, it's already my time to go. In the blink of an eye, it came just like that. In the blink of an eye, here I am, I'm 16 years old. In the blink of an eye, I've hit 30. In the blink of an eye, I'm 50. And all, this is all coming way too quickly. But here's how the Apostle Paul lived. He lived in such a way that he's got to the end of it all and there's no fear, there's no regret. Here's what he says. He says, you know what? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. In fact, the language that he uses, this is pretty cool here. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, verse 6, and the time has come for my departure. He doesn't say, all right, uh, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The last act of the sacrifice of my life and it's time, the time of my death is near. He doesn't say that. He says the time of my departure. The, uh, the Greek word, many different uh, many different. Uh, uses and pictures of the word, but literally it means let's pull up the tent pegs because we're packing up the tent. I'm ready to go home. That's what he's saying. Everything that I've had to do here is finished and I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. That's his language. I have zero regrets. There's nothing. I left it all on the playing field and now I'm ready to go home. You know this. It's the same idea of departure as when you're flying. Right? You go to a mission trip. You go to a business trip. You haven't seen your family in a long, long time, and you're just ready. 
that you've got a layover in Houston, you've got a layover in Chicago, wherever it is, you've got a layover in Atlanta, and you get to the thing, and you look up at that screen, and it says departure, Orlando, now boarding, and you can't wait because you know that, yeah, what I've had here is great, but what I'm leaving behind is nothing compared to the greatness of what is to come because I'm going home. And I've, I'm going home. I know where I'm going and who I'm going to see. I have a friend named Jesus waiting there for me. He has given something that no one else could give. He gave his life in payment so that I could live. That's what he's saying. I've got no regrets. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Wouldn't it be awesome to get to the end of your life and say, take me away. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm just, I'm going home. That's all it is. No fear in death. Right? No fear in death. Wouldn't it be awesome to live that way? Wouldn't it be awesome to live with no regrets? Paul's saying, here's how. You've got to remember this one thing. The end is closer than you think. The second thing that he tells us to remember, though, not only is the end closer than we think, the second thing we have to see is what matters at the end is what matters now. That's how you live a life without regret. Think about what matters at the end. How many people you know when they were on their deathbed, say, can you, can, you, can you bring me a picture of my automobiles for one last time? Can you just bring me all that, that stack of $100 bills so I could take a bath in them? Nobody says that at the end. You know what? I'm, I have all this regret because of the people that I did not love. All this regret because I wasted my life on trivial pursuits. You know how you live with regret? You don't think about the end. You don't think about the consequences of your actions. I was, <clears throat> a few years back, one winter I was hanging out at Pike Place Market in Seattle. We have some Seattleites here, right? I was hanging out in, in, in Pike Place, just an obscenely cold day. and shouldn't have been outside, but we were, because that's what tourists do. They go to Pike Place if you're in Seattle. The original Starbucks, right, founded in whatever year it is. And the only reason we're walking outside is to get from one place to another that's indoors. And so we're walking, and I was with a couple kids. I don't remember if it was my kids, but I know one of my, my uh, nieces was there, my brother was there. And as we're walking, we saw a, a street performer. He was a juggler, and he was juggling all kinds of crazy stuff. And I was like, you know, I, I thought this was cool. And so I said to the, the little kids, I said, hey, guys, that guy's, look at that guy. He's so cool. You want to go see him? He was juggling like all these weird things like bowling pins, multiple bowling pins and like sharp objects and, and all this stuff. And as we got closer, we're the only ones like foolish enough to stand out there besides him on a cold Seattle day. We're standing there. People are walking by. He had a, a, some kind of a, a briefcase open for people who are putting in money. And I said to the kids, I said, this guy's really cool, isn't he? This guy is awesome. And what he said to her, my niece, he said, hey, kid, take it from me. Stay in school or else you're going to end up like me. This is all I have left of my life. I was like, holy cow. It's a moment of clarity, isn't it? When he was in school, he never imagined that on a cold winter day, he'd be sitting out on the corner juggling objects for dollars and quarters. We live life sometimes that way, don't we? We don't think about the end. We don't think about the consequences of our actions. We don't think about what 
the effect of my actions today will have on tomorrow. And so we say, no bedtime story for you tonight. Or we say, no, I don't have time for you today. Or we say, God, I don't have time to do these things. And we get to the end of it all and we look back with so many different when you get to the end of life, what matters then is what matters today. Guys, don't have, I, I, that's, my, that's my pastoral burden. I don't want you to live with regret. And sometimes, and sometimes I, I, I say things and, and people get upset and, and, and they don't like the things that I'm saying. And, and I understand why they feel that way. And that's what I want at the end is that you wouldn't say that I wasted my life. That I didn't have regret at the end of it all. That I didn't spend my life on all of these things only to realize that at the end of that road was a broken, shut, locked door and there was nothing to show for it. I can't think of a better way to explain what the world says we need to value at the end and what Jesus says we need to value at the end than by remembering what an author, pastor named John Piper said in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. And I, I know maybe some of you have heard this either in this context or some other context. And I, I, I wrestled with whether I should say it or not. But when I rehearsed it to myself, I was challenged and I was deeply moved all over again. And so I want to maybe stir up by way of reminder some of you and by way of introduction to something new for others of us. But there was a Reader's Digest magazine that came out, I think, in the year 2000. And I don't even remember what the article was about, but there was an article about this relatively younger couple, I guess. Um, and imagine this kind of a life. They lived in the Northeast, um, New England area. Bob married Penny. They were young. He was eight years her senior. So Bob and Penny get married. And their dream, we got to make it. We got to make it in this world. And so they worked and they worked and they climbed the corporate ladder and they made it big and they made lots of money. They made so much money and put so much away in savings that they had a huge nest egg for their retirement. And so they retired early, not 63 early, not 61 early, not 60 early, but she retired when she was 51 years old. How's that? And he retired when he was 59. Is that, the, is that the dream life? 59 and 51. For the rest of our lives, we don't have to work. Everything is provided for. This is the life. This is what we moved to America for. This is the American dream. And they left the cold, harsh climate of the Northeast. And they moved down here to Florida. An hour and a half south of Tampa on the west Gulf Coast of Florida to a little town called Punta Gorda, a little uh, resort town, a shoreside community, and they live there. And the article says they sail on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball. They walk on the beach. They collect seashells. And he says this is what the world sells you. Have this life. And they hail it as the pinnacle of life in America. The dream above dreams. Why everyone would leave their homelands to come to America. And he says, 
to me, this is a tragedy. Because what will they do when they get to the end of their life, the end of the one life that they have on planet Earth? When they stand before their maker, what will they say on judgment day when they stand before God? Look, Lord, look at my shells. And it would be comical if that was not a picture of the way so many of us live. It's not shells, but it's other things. Look, Lord, here are my comforts. Look, Lord, here is my reputation. Look, Lord, here are my grades. Look, Lord, here are my possessions, and none of which are bad. But when these things become ultimate, that it crowds us out and blinds us from giving our lives fully to the thing in life that matters the most at the end, that that becomes a tragedy. What is in our hands that we stand before God? Look, Lord, here am I, whatever. What is it that we live for? That is a tragedy because at the end that doesn't matter and it should not matter to us so much now. And then he talks about these two ladies in his congregation. Ruby Eliason was over 80 years old. She was single all of her life. But she gave that one life that she had to serving the poor, the sick, the destitute, the lonely, the needy in Cameroon, Africa. Laura Edwards, almost 80 years old, single all of her life. I forget one of them was a widow. I forget which one was single. But she left everything behind in Minnesota to work alongside her friend Ruby in bringing the hope of Christ to the most destitute and broken people in the world that she knew. They gave their lives to that. And as they were driving in their automobile approaching a cliff in West Africa, the brakes on the car failed, and these 80-year-old women fell off the cliff to their demise. And people started saying, what a tragedy. That's so tragic, so sad. And as their pastor, he said, how is that a tragedy? Two lives, two lives with one singular burning passion to give their one life for the one thing that matters at the end of it all. That that's not a tragedy. That's not a waste. He said, that is glory. That is glory. Because Paul says, this is what it means. This is what matters at the end. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what matters at the end. That's what matters at the end, that you keep the faith. doesn't matter what you do and how well you do and all of these other things. If you lose your faith, if you abandon the faith at the end, the one thing that matters is that you keep your faith. If that matters at the end, that's what matters today. That you fight to guard the faith that God has entrusted to you. That you give your life in order that Christ would be known. That you fight to guard that within your life. And yeah, it's hard. That's why he says it's a fight. Because sometimes you get punched, sometimes you get knocked down. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But God didn't say we live this life in comfort. That's the American dream. And advertisers spend billions of dollars trying to get you to buy that. Live in comfort. 
But Jesus says the one who gives his life away is the one who truly finds it in the end. What are you living for? What do you see to matter at the end? Because you see what matters at the end is what ought to matter today. The last thing we see that life just a series of ordinary days will start today. Start today. So many of us are so uh, comfortable where we are right now. Oblivious to the fact that the end could come today or tomorrow. If Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote that song, he didn't know. But a few months later, three-year-old daughter would be killed in his own driveway in an automobile accident. His plea, make each day count. Why wait until, this, this is how we live. I'm only in middle school. I've got my social media reputation. I don't want to be all hallelujah for Jesus. I'll do it tomorrow. But we don't know that tomorrow is guaranteed to us. I'm only in high school. I got to be popular. I got to be cool. I got to get ins with the right crowd. So many people say, oh, I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'm in college and I got to get my job. And so I got to work seven days a week. I got to work 80 hours. I got to make it to the top. But once I make it to the top, that's when I'll come back to the Lord. People in the world will say, I have a word for you. That's ambitious, that's strong, that's courageous, that's driven. Jesus has a word for such a person. He tells it in his parables. He says, that's a fool who did everything and earned all this money, stored it up in all of these barns, and then he died. Everyone is saying, wow, he's great. He's a great CEO, he's a great CFO, great planner. He does all this stuff, took care of his finance, took care of it. Jesus says, he's a fool. So many of us think that we have it in us to just come back to God whenever I want. But I have seen way too many people who make that kind of confession only to realize that when that time comes that they had thought they will come back to God, their hearts have become so hardened that there is no inclination or even desire to want to give their hearts to God anymore. But the Bible constantly says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. One of the most curious passages, I shared this in our prayer meeting a couple weeks ago in Exodus chapter 8. The people of God, the children of God, Israel, is enslaved to Egypt. And the Egyptians are just taskmasters and, and just oppression. And they cry out, let my people go. And so God uses Moses to bring deliverance by bringing plagues upon the people. So that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, would loosen his grip and say, okay, you can go and worship your God on that mountain. One of the plagues that comes is a plague of frogs. That means frogs descend upon Egypt. Right? For some people, like that's cool, but for most of us, that's kind of gross. That means open up the refrigerator to grab some cream cheese and milk and frogs all up in there, jumping out. Oh my gosh. Let's go take a bath, turn on the water, and frogs all jumping out of there. Uh, I'm just going to go take a nap. Open up your sheets, and frogs come out. It's just frogs up the wazoo. It's crazy. Frogs everywhere. 
And so Pharaoh doesn't like frogs. He's like, all right, Moses, all right, Moses, get these frogs away. Moses says, listen, you tell me, you tell me when, and I'll pray to God. He's going to hear me because he's behind this and he wants to deliver the people. Okay, you tell me when you want these frogs to stop jumping around. And they will. And what does Pharaoh say? All right, Moses. Tomorrow. What? Tomorrow? Why in the world would you want to spend one more night with the frogs? But that's what he was saying. That's what we say too, isn't it? Tomorrow, I'm going to start getting right with God. Tomorrow, I'm going to let go of this sin. But you got to remember, it was New Year's Eve and everybody's drinking. I, give me one more day. Tomorrow, I'll get my life right with God. Tomorrow will be the day I share the gospel with that. But tomorrow will be, tomorrow is the busiest day in the world because we've got so many things to do tomorrow because we're not willing to do it today. That's what he's saying. This is life. This is life. That's all it is. It's a series of ordinary days. Think about the ordinary days of your life. And by the time you know it, that's your life. How do you fight the good fight? Because you're thinking about the end and you fight one punch at a time. How do you run the race to finish? Put one foot in front of another. This is not a biblical thing, right? Rome wasn't built in a day, the Romans say. The Chinese say the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The question is, are you going to take that step? And I encourage you, as I wrote in the letter, get into the word of God today. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow, January 1st. Hey, we could all do this together. Let's all start together. Let's march together. What would happen if we did? What would our church look like if people got serious about living for the Lord God? Serious about making a commitment to church, to becoming a member of a church, to being committed to house church, to praying. Would things not be different? Uh, things are going okay. Things are going pretty well. People talk, oh, yeah, great things are happening here. But what if even greater things? were possible. And you could be part of that today, not tomorrow, today. Daniel, I don't want you to get to the end of it all and have regret. I love this about the Apostle Paul. At the end of my life, there's no regrets. Why? There's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. I have kept the faith. I I'm not afraid of death because it's simply a departure to my final destination. I love that. That's what marks people of God throughout history. People like Abraham. People like Moses. In Hebrews 11, it's a hall of fame of faith. The hall of faith. And it says these people, nameless, countless, nameless, faceless people who gave their lives. And they died in peace. Why? Because it says they were looking ahead to a better country, a heavenly one. It's why the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts, when he was stoned for being a Christian, he lifted his eyes to the heavens. He knew that's what, what, where was his home. He knew there was a crown of righteousness awaiting for him. And so in his death, he could lift his eyes up and with gratitude, he could say, receive my spirit. Countless people of faith who ran the race and fought the good fight and finished the race because they kept the faith. People like the thief on the cross. 
a thief on the cross. A thief on a cross. Do you know that Paul makes sense, Stephen makes sense, Abraham makes sense, Moses makes sense, but there is a, a thief, better translated, a terrorist against Rome. But he too could die that same way with such peace? Why? I'll tell you why. Because I think what Paul is saying is what he said in other verses and what we know intuitively because we sing these songs. That a crown of righteousness that awaits those who kept the faith. The righteousness is not as much about what we do as it is about believing what he has done, what Christ has done. Paul wrote in another place that it is possible, and we sing this, to possess by faith what I could not earn. This all-surpassing gift of righteousness. Let me tell you, you and I will never earn the crown of righteousness because we keep any kind of faith. That's not what he's saying. The thief on the cross did not for not a single day of his life did he fight the good fight? Did he run the race? No, but in the last moment, the last second of his life, he said, Jesus, remember me in paradise. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. The next thing he knew after he breathed his last breath, he could do so in peace because there was a crown of righteousness awaiting him. Why? Because righteousness and faith is not about, and keeping the faith is not about what we do, but it's about us trusting in the finished work of Jesus and allowing that influence everything that we do. That's how we live a life that's not wasted. That's how we can run the race and fight the good fight and finish the race and, and keep the faith because it has nothing to do ultimately with how good I can do it and how well I can do it. It has everything to do with the one who's done it for us. An alien righteousness that comes from another. When we understand this, when we see this, we won't waste our lives. We'll give everything that we have. We know Christ. We make him known because that's what matters at the end. That's what matters now. This morning, one minute after New Year's started, a little young girl that we've been praying for and talking about, Ava. Rightly, seven years old, been wrestling with cancer. This morning she went home to be with the Lord. And as her parents you know, talk about the journey of faith, you watch videos of her, even as cancer is attacking every cell in her body and she's incapacitated, even in her sleep. Just that, that, that juxtaposition of sleepfulness and wakefulness, she's still singing her praises to God. Seven years old, but she fought the good fight. She ran the race. She kept the faith. And the next thing she knew when she closed her eyes was that she was receiving a crown righteousness from her holy and righteous judge who welcomed her into her eternal rest. And I have no doubt that I have no regrets. 
We have one life. One life. There are no do-overs. There's no reset button. There's no practice. This is your life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you living for, dear friend? What are you living for? Reorient your life dreams. You don't need to be popular in college. You don't need to have everything that they say you need to have. You don't need to be a millionaire. You don't even need to be a hundred thousand there. You don't need all of that stuff. Simple life. Simple faith. I gave it everything I had to Jesus. And he has never failed me. He has never failed me. This is your life. This is your life. Let's pray. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every one of our lives. Has a date of expiration. And we'll stand before our maker. And if it's your time, then no wisdom, no planning, no safety, no security, no doctor will be able to keep you here. But if it's not your time, then no illness, no car accident, no sickness, no bullet is going to be able to take you from the hand of God. Every one of us has a time. Every one of us will stand before our maker. Don't waste your life. Some of us in here, we need to reorient our lives, turn our hearts back to God. Say, Lord, forgive me for thinking this is what life is about. Having men like me, having women like me, having girls like me, having boys like me, having the most followers on my social media page, being popular, having the right people approve of me that's not what matters guys when are we going to change our values back to God how long are you going to sleep with the frogs let's come back to the Lord God by grace by faith for others of us in here you don't know when your end is coming none of us do but you feel like man I need to get right with my maker I haven't been living right with God because here's our reality every reality every person is that before a holy God we have blown it and the more worthy the person is the more severe the punishment has to be and if God is infinitely worthy the only punishment that would be acceptable is infinite punishment the Bible says the cost of our sin the price of our sin is death and yet God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son to us while we were still sinners 
and he lived the perfect life the one that did not deserve wrath that life we couldn't live and then he died the death that we deserved in our place so that anyone who says yeah I'll make that great exchange I'll take your sacrifice for me I'll give you my sin you give me your win so that I could come to God and know that my life extends into eternity and that's good news That's why people have given their lives to it. That's why these 80-year-old women would give their life to it. That's why people in every century have given their lives to it. Because it's good news. It's not good advice. I'm not telling you what you need to do. It's good, it's good news. It says, He has done it for you. Do you trust that? Maybe there's some of us in here who haven't yet put our trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins and to be our King. As you reflect and pray for a minute, After you do that, I want to give an invitation for anyone who wants to pray in their hearts to put their trust in this Jesus, to be their forgiver and to be their new master. But for now, in our own ways, in our own words, let's respond to God's word, can we? Let's talk to God. That's all it is. Let's talk to God. Be honest with him. He knows it all. Say, God, I'm scared. Or God, I don't want to waste it. Or God, thank you for showing me. Or God, I want to appreciate you. Whatever it is, just talk to God for a few moments. In about a minute, if I'm going to give an invitation to anyone who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you want to do so, we'll have a time just in our own hearts to do that. And I'll lead us through that time. But let's pray. Let's just talk to God for a few moments right now as we respond to Him. this earth had a conversation with a man who wanted to know how he could have the life that is eternal and Jesus told him why he had come he said for God in this way he loved the world this is how he showed his love not by singing a song not by writing a card not by putting a banner in the sky pulled by an airplane it wasn't sentimental it wasn't syrupy wasn't superficial sacrificial God loved the world this way that he gave his one and only son his only son to die on the cross that whoever believes in him won't die forever but will have the life that is eternal that life begins the moment you put your trust in him to be your master and king we continue to pray, I want to just give a simple invitation as our eyes are closed. If there's anyone in here who's saying, yeah, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. Apart from him, I've, I've been my own master and I've made a mess out of it. And I know that if I were to die, I wouldn't be with God. I want to turn away from my old life and I want to 
follow Jesus. I'm going to do that, and I need help, and I need help, and I need someone to walk with me through that. I need Jesus to walk with me through that. That's you as the rest of us pray, as all of us pray, just reflect and think. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand quietly where you are. I need Jesus in my life. I need him to be my master and savior. Thank you. That's One in the front and another in the back. Thanks, guys. I see you. Yeah, we see you here, sister. At some point in our lives, this will be the most important decision we make. What will we do with Jesus? A handful of folks at this point. Maybe others I know. I just want to invite us to pray this prayer in our hearts. We confess our need for Jesus to save, to heal, to lead us, that our lives would be lived in a manner worthy. Just repeat this prayer in your own heart and pray it aloud. Dear God, you are the giver life and I thank you that I have life thank you that you brought me here today because you wanted me to hear the good news not of what I need to do but of what Jesus has done thank you that every ordinary day of your life Jesus you lived and the sum total of those ordinary days was an extraordinary life unlike any other a perfect life the only perfect sacrifice for the failures and the sins of the world I believe that I have hurt you but at the same time I believe that you died for my sins so would you come in I trust you to be my savior to be my master come into my life change me from the inside out so that I can live for you. I love you, Jesus, because you've loved me first. Father in heaven, we do thank you for all that you're doing in us. Lord, shake us. Shake our hearts and our minds with the knowledge of these truths that we've heard today. Teach us to keep the faith even when and especially when it's hard. We'll be faithful to the one who will always be faithful to us knowing that even if we fall, you'll never, ever, ever 